from heaven. I don't know if you agree with me. Now I want to know if you agree with me. Hallelujah. God answers. He answers prayer. We have seen it in history. The early church lived in circumstances worse than the one we lived in today. We live in today. Despite the full crisis. But they sought the Lord. When a man can say, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He was the man who sought the Lord. When a man can stand before the authorities and say, judge for yourselves whether we should obey you or obey God. And then turn back and say, we will not stop preaching the gospel. God is looking for Josiah today. One man, one woman in this church who will say, Father, I will not get up from my knees until I see change in my generation. And many years ago, the Lord began to deal with our hearts and say to us, nations can change. I don't know if you're used to that in this church, but I'm going to invite you to say with me, nations can change. No, but I mean say it with fire. Come on, say it with passion. Say it with fire. And nations will change. It just takes one man and one woman who will say, my nation will change. And we see God. And Josiah did something beautiful. He began to destroy the pagan altars that his forefathers had put in place. Do you know that we have pagan altars in our hearts? We have things that we worship that matter more to us than Jesus, more to us than the gospel. If the people of God will cry out and say, Lord, I am pulling down the pagan altars in my heart. And everything that separates me from you, everything that removes the overriding passion of Jesus from my heart must die. It must die. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there can be no meaning to a life that is not lived in total consecration to the Son of God. We have pagan altars. We have them inside us. We have them inside the church. And we cannot say, Lord, change the world. God says, I want to change you. Because you are my instrument to change the world. And when he had destroyed the pagan altars, he began to rebuild the temple. And that does not mean we need a new coat of paint in this church. It simply means that we who are God's people, we who are called by the name of the Lord, there must be something in us that shows that we are inhabited by the Spirit of the living God. And we must be consecrated to God. There is this thing that attracts people, that attracts God to a people who wholly belong to Him. Who just say, Father, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you will not move in my generation without moving through me. I want to challenge somebody today to say, I did not come to the earth to make money. I did not come to the earth to have a social status. I did not come to the earth so my name would be in the newspaper. I did not come to the earth for such a silly thing as that. I came to the earth to change my generation. 
I came to the earth so the name of Jesus will be exalted. I came to the earth so that the lamb that was slain will receive the reward of his suffering. And when I leave this earth, I want the angels of God to welcome me. I don't want to be saved like narrowly by the skin of my teeth. I want them to look at me and say, this one lives for the master. Because we are passing through. We would not be here forever. And when we read the stories of the kings of Judah, it seemed that they, some of them reigned for so long. Uzziah reigned for so long. Jehoshaphat for so long. And they were righteous in their measure. Asa also brought reformation in his time. But you know, they came and they went. We have come and we will pass. But what we do for Jesus in the earth will remain. And did we let our hearts be burned with fire so that God can release fire in our generation? Otherwise, what are we living for? What are we living for? And Josiah, in seeking the Lord, understood the things that really matter. We need God to open our eyes. Because when we begin to seek the Lord, He begins to open our eyes. He begins to show us the things inside us that must disappear. And He begins to show us the things that must be built up in this temple of the Holy Ghost. Because you see, we are God's people. Our nations are heathen. But we are God's people. Israel was God's people. And what Josiah did in Israel is what we must do in the church. In our hearts. And lift up holy hands before the Lord. And not impure hands crying out for God to move. In the revival in the New Hebrides, Duncan Campbell, who God used so powerfully in this revival, he tells the story. It is so powerful. Because it was not because somebody had some mighty anointing it was because as he has burdened your hearts to pray for revival he burdened the hearts of two old women over 80 years of old and they began to pray and they called their pastor and the men got together and they began to pray and they said Lord you promised to pour out water on the dry land what is going on we want you to shake us, to touch us, to move. And, and the way he tells his story, he says at one point, one of the deacons there, he just fell on his knees. And he said, but it's, who can ascend onto the mountain of the Lord? Psalm 24. Who? But the one who has clean hands. Who does not contemplate iniquity. And the revelation dawned on him. He said, it seems to me. That we are wasting our time if we are asking God for revival. If we are not right with God. And he said, God, is my heart pure before you? Are my hands clean before you? And as he spoke, the power of God came upon him and he fell into a trance. And the power of God came upon the entire neighborhood. Not the church, but the neighborhood. I want to know if there will be Josiahs in this church. Men and women who are not waiting for the government to do it. Who are not waiting for the leaders to do it. But who recognize that in every generation, when God finds one man, one woman, he will use them. Because it is not our power. It is not the power of the numbers that we are. It is the power of the Holy Ghost. I, I, I love Ian Bounds' books on prayer. And one sentence that has lived with me for the past 20-something years 
is this that men are looking for better methods. But God is looking for better men. And not better because we are so excellent in our ways, but because we have submitted to the Spirit of God. And said, Lord, whatever you want, do. Whatever you desire, do. Make me what I ought to be. Change me, kill me, transform me, whatever. But just do your will in my life. I want to know if there's anyone in this church today who wants to say that to Jesus. Whatever. Whatever. Sometimes our prayers are as short as whatever. Jesus, whatever. Whatever. Wherever, whenever. So long as it's your desire. So long as it's your heart. You know the story of D.L. Moody. Someone said to him that there is no limit to what God can do through one man who totally submits to him. He heard that and something happened inside him and he said, I will be that man. And the man who was largely uneducated, who could barely speak a sentence in English without making mistakes, which is not the case of the people I see before me today, was used by God to shake the United Kingdom and to speak to princes and leaders and they flocked to his meetings and were converted in droves and in America the same thing. Why? Because this man said, I will be that man who is totally yielded to God. Why did Josiah change his nation? Because he was king? No. Because he was God's man. And sometimes I look at young people and I think, wow, It's so wonderful. Your whole life is before you. You can choose to live as God's man. But whatever age we are, those two women were 80 something years of age and God used them to change their generation. The power of God filled the island of Louis. They said we need a preacher. Sometimes we think it's a preacher that brings revival. No, sometimes the preachers just come to help. Revival was already there. They brought in Duncan Campbell. He arrived, and they told him, well, let's go. They went to church, 300 people. They had a normal meeting. They're like, oh, God, we thought you were going to move with power. But at the end of the meeting, that same deacon who had cried out to God, fell on his knees and began to cry out to God again. One man. One man. And as he began to cry out to God again, I said, Lord, you promised All of a sudden, he fell into a trance again. And then someone rushed in and said, there are people outside. They went outside. 600 people. God had brought them by his sovereign power. Nobody evangelized them. Nobody witnessed to them. But the power of God was so strong that they said, we have to go to church. Isn't it wonderful when people just come knocking and say, we have to go to church? We don't have to call them ten times and say, please come to church. Please come to church. I have to go to church. And they came. And one of the powerful stories I love in that revival is the story of the young people who were to dance. Sometimes we bring the dance into the church so the young people can stay in church. We try so hard to be relevant, to be hip and to be cute and to have all kinds of modern things so the young people can stay in church. It is the Holy Ghost that we need. He's the one who sets them on fire. Those young people were at the dance. And all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit moved and conviction fell on them and they rushed out of the place and rushed to church. One hundred young people abandoned their nightclub and rushed to church. 
And God moved so powerfully. And the whole environment was transformed. Completely transformed. The, the cities, the towns were transformed. People walking down the road would just fall on their knees in conviction of sin and begin to cry out to God. Say, God, save me. I'm a wretched sinner, one notorious sinner. He, he on the streets, he began to cry out and say, hell is too good for me. When a person begins to say, hell is too good for me, you know that there is conviction of sin. One of the things the Lord has been dealing with me about is the fact that we need conviction of sin. When we get people saved, we don't even know that they're sinners. And after they're saved, it's like they're doing Jesus a favor by coming to church. And I don't know if there's anybody like that here, but you need to repent. We don't do Jesus a favor by coming to church. Jesus did us a favor by coming to the earth. Do you agree with that? Let me know you agree with that. Jesus did us a favor by coming to the earth. Who are we? Wretched sinners deserving hell and eternal damnation. And he came to save us. And the reason you're praying for revival is not because you're wonderful people, but because the wonderful God has touched your heart. And I thank God for that. And that is the beginning. The way he touched the hearts of those two women. And he moved with such power on that island. That they went to the police station. Someone said, come to the police station. 300 people had gathered at the police station. They just wanted God. And the police station was next to the house of those two praying women. And they went there. People were falling on their knees crying out, we want God. We want God. We cannot make people want God. But God can make people want God. What he asks us to do is to cry out and pray and believe and release our faith and they will begin to desire God. Sometimes we're in church and we don't desire God. We need to desire God. How can we be saved and not desire God? What are we saved to? We're saved to God. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. And God must be the desire of our hearts. He desecrated the pagan altars. He rebuilt the temple. And then they discovered the word of the Lord. And then they found out just how far they had gone from the Lord. But he established, he renewed the covenant. He renewed the covenant. He made the commitment to say we will serve the Lord. No, the church needs to make the commitment to serve the Lord. We need to be faithful to our mandate. And I'm always encouraged by the early church. By the things that they went through. I had a conversation once with a man in a, our church worships in a cinema. I had a conversation with a man who works there and the man was saying to me, oh, apparently Christianity was only able to survive because they made an alliance with the government, with Constantine. And I said, no, it's the other way around. Christianity was propagated at lightning speed without the use of force. In the first three centuries, people died for their faith. And so when people saw their courage, they said there must be something to this their God. And they preached the gospel everywhere. Everywhere. They irritated people, but they kept preaching. 
They anointed people, but they kept preaching. And they didn't seek alliances with power. Sometimes we think that revival will change the nation when we can get the government to legislate on our behalf. When we start making alliances with power, we begin to lose our soul. Power must bow to the gospel. We don't bow to power. Power must bow to the gospel. They must bow to the gospel because we serve the king who is superior to all kings. We serve the ruler who is above all rulers. And I'm so inspired by the example of the prophets of old. The kings went to them. They didn't go to the kings. And the kings sought their audience and sought their help and sought their prayer. And we are the temple of the living God. We are the church of the living God. We are those to whom Jesus said, I give you, I, 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 I send you out. Go, make disciples of the nations. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you go, in my name. Is there any greater power than the name of Jesus? We need to rise up to the challenge and take what has been given to us and decide that our nation will change, that the nations of the earth will change because the church accepts to change. When we do not change, when we are full of corruption, we have no moral authority to speak to the world and we have no spiritual authority to change what is going on in our nation. But when the altars in our own hearts are gone, when the temple of God that we are is bright and full of life and full of the Spirit of God, when we speak, the leaders will listen. When we speak, our communities will listen. And they feared the early Christians, not because of their power, but because they knew that they had something that they didn't have. They had something. When we look at the history of the persecutions, we say, how did the church survive? How did the church survive? Because of the power of the Holy Ghost. But when the church made the alliance with power, when Constantine declared the Roman Empire a Christian nation, a Christian empire, all the pagans came into the church. And from that moment on, it became a war. It became difficult. Corruption set in. Sometimes we fill our church with pagans just so we can grow. And we think we're in revival because there are more people. But the war that was outside has now come inside. And then we dilute the gospel to accommodate the most carnal people among us. Some of whom are not even saved. We were put on the earth for a purpose. To cause the name of Jesus to be glorified. And when we have that fire in our hearts, and that passion in our spirits, nothing can stop us. Nothing. God has always found himself a man or a woman. When Charles Finney used to go to prayer meetings, he was not saved. But he used to wonder all these Christians who would pray, who never got answers to their prayers, and he didn't bother them. And that one thing struck him that if he really believed what they believed, he would not be satisfied with no answers to his prayers. And when he became a Christian, he began to pray for revival. And he is considered to be one of the foremost revivalists in the history of the church. Because he decided that if God is God, he will answer prayer. Do you agree with me? No, I don't know if you agree with me. If God is God, he answers prayer. If God is God, 
and you are crying out for revival with hearts aflame with passion for the Son of God, removing the pagan altars, walking in holiness before you, before God, you will have revival. It cannot be otherwise because God cannot lie. We are asking Him for the desire of His heart. We are not asking him to do what we want. We are asking him to do what he wants. And history tells us that in the New Hebrides, all the drinking places shut down. Not because they went to preach against them, or they went to picket them like people do in America, or they went to have mass demonstrations in front and say, you must shut down. But because all the people going there got saved. You see, righteousness exalts a nation. Not simply decrees and laws by the rulers that favor the church, but bringing people into right standing with God. For, for a number of years now, we have heard people saying, oh no, Jesus didn't preach, you must be born again. He preached the kingdom. But I always say that Jesus said, that except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. He preached the kingdom. But we don't enter the kingdom until we are born again. A nation cannot become righteous when it's full, full of unrighteous people. A nation can only become righteous when the church awakens to God and the church begins to call the nation to God. Not just call them. And this is the challenge for us in the third world. Because there is so much that is wrong socially. And so for us, changing our nation sometimes means we have a better educational system. Or that we have orphanages and all those things are good. But the impact that we are meant to have on our nation, first and foremost, is to call men to God. To bring them to a place of right standing with God. You must be born again. It doesn't change. No matter how sophisticated the church gets, we still need to be born again. We still need to be born again. And we cannot stop preaching it because otherwise we will never have righteousness. We will never have people become God's people. And it's when we become God's people, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, in right standing with God, that our conduct will now reflect that righteousness. Our conduct will reflect it, and it must reflect it. Sometimes people say they're Christians, and we're like, wow, praise the Lord. And immediately we begin to remind ourselves, judge not that you be not judged. Because it really doesn't show. But it should show. Do you agree with me? It should show. Because when we live righteously, we infect other people with that righteous thing in us. And when people come to the knowledge of Christ in a nation and their way of living changes, then the nation changes. They shut down the drinking places. They tell us that when Philip was in Rochester, New York, by the time he left, all the theaters where they had all kinds of illicit activities going on shut down. And there was no such activity for seven years. And there was no permanent structure for 25 years because one man decided to be a Josiah in his generation. I don't know if you know the history of the, the man called Josephiah Babalola, but God used him powerfully in the revival of the 1930s in this nation. 
the things we take for granted. Those of us who are Yorubas, we know the legacy that we have of ungodly activities. The things we used to read these books. Um, I'm trying to remember the title. It just came to me now. Um, these books on the magic forest and Amos Tutuala. Uh, what's Amos Tutuala? That was the pan wine drinker. There was another one. Ah, yes, 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 yes. But there were stories to us. To our generation, there were stories. But these things were not stories. This was not fiction. It was reality. And when Josephia Babalala would go to preach in a place, they would give him a place in the magic forest where nobody dared enter, thinking he would go out and never come out. And he would go in there, he would deliberately ask for the place. He would go in there, he would preach, he would challenge the occultic powers. And he would build a church there. That's what we're called to do. Change nations with the power of the Holy Ghost. Challenging the forces of darkness. Not drawing back from them. When I first went to France and I was in this church and, and all my, my Francophone friends would point out something and that person is a witch. Don't talk to them. They're a witch. Don't talk like they're a witch. We need to get them saved. And now be careful. You know, be careful. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And they would ostracize. I remember one poor woman, they would ostracize her in the church because she was a witch. And I would go to her and put my arms around her and say, come and sit down. Because Jesus in me is greater than the devil in her. And, and this man would go to all these places and challenge the forces of darkness. And they would bring out all their paraphernalia and burn them publicly. Because they would see the power of Jesus. How do we change nations? We demonstrate the power of the Holy Ghost. We show the power of our God. We don't just go and talk to them. People talk to them. We go to them and speak the gospel and demonstrate the power. And they would burn the occultic paraphernalia. And they would hear the demons speaking out. And there was one case of a demon that spoke out to one man saying, Is this what you're doing now? And the man said, Yes. Go. I found a greater power. And our generation was born. And all those things were stories to us. Because there were people who came before us who challenged these things. We have to challenge the forces of darkness. We have to challenge them and say, Jesus in us is greater than you. Because if we do not, they will continue to hold people in bondage. And hold territories in bondage. And so we're so happy at what God has done in our nation. When I was at university, we were all sinners. Sinners who didn't know they were sinners. We thought we were hot, we were young, we were cool, we were hip, whatever. But we were sinners. And we have these sisters who will preach the gospel to us and we will look at them and think, you want me to look like you? Long scarf, long dress, long face. We had no understanding. But in one generation, God did an awesome work. In one generation. You know, I haven't been home in many, many years. And already the last time I was home, I thought there were many churches. And I thought, like, whoa, everywhere I look, there is a church. And I live in France. We don't have so many churches. It's not the same climate as here. But I want to say to you that it's not the proliferation of churches. It is the degree of righteousness. It is consecration to holiness. 
It is living with clean hands and a pure heart before God. It is a commitment to see the nation change. It is not bringing the world into the church. It's taking Jesus into the world. The standards have fallen. So many things that we consider acceptable in the church that should not be acceptable in the church. Are our hands clean? Are our hearts pure? Because that is the condition for God to move through us and literally change the nation because they need an example. Josiah was an example. Question, am I an example? Are you an example? Can somebody look at you and say, I want your Jesus. And what he's done in your life, I want it. Your name becomes a shortcut in prayer. Rather than people spending three hours to tell God what they want to do in their life, say, Father, do in me what you've done in her. Shortcuts. Do in me what you've done in her. Do in me what you've done in him. I think my time is almost up. I'm just going to say one or two things before I stop. I wrote them down because I did not want to forget. And it is this. One, that when the revival broke out on the island of Lewis, nobody could tell what God was going to do next. They just followed the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we are too sure of what God is going to do next. We make no room for God to do what we have not considered. And when we make room for him to do that, everything changes around us. He surprises us. He astonishes us. And he makes us flames of fire. Righteousness exalts a nation. What is the change that we want in our nation? We want the reign of righteousness. We want godliness. We want holiness. When John Wesley blazed through England... There was one historian who said that it was the ministry of God through John Wesley that prevented a revolution, a bloody revolution in England, the kind that we had in France. And I can tell you that revolution in France and the secularism and the anti-clericalism is still affecting the church today. That one ministry, because when he began his ministry, Unrighteousness was rampant. Sin. Every form of degradation. Some people estimated that one out of every four women was a prostitute. That is a lot. It seems strange to us today. It seems really strange to us today. But there was so much wickedness and savagery. And when they began to preach, they would get attacked in different places because people didn't want to hear about holiness. But they continued. I pray God will give us the stamina to continue. To never give up. To never stop. One of the things God taught me to pray many years ago was, Lord, make me more stubborn than the devil. Make me more stubborn than the devil. That if one of us is going to back down and one of us is going to back down, it will be him. I say, Lord... And I pray this everywhere I go. Lord, make me unstoppable. Make me unbendable. Make me unbreakable. Make me unshakable. And I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, make this church unbendable. Make this church unshakable. Make this church unbreakable. Make this church unimmovable and unstoppable. If you will not stop, 
the enemy will stop. And the souls you're crying out for will come in. And as in the revival on the island of Louis, God will draw them miraculously. Miraculously. Isn't it wonderful to open the doors of the church and see 600 people outside saying we want God? God is no respecter of persons. If he did it then, he would do it now. Can you prophesy with me and say he would do it now? Now say it with passion. Say it as if you believe it. Say he will do it in this church. And he will do it through me. He will do it through me. That is my challenge for you today as I close. He will do it through me. It's so easy to look at. We have all these stories of what God has done. And we look at them to inspire us. Do you agree with me? To say that he's the same God. He's done it before. We're not asking for the impossible. He has changed the nations before. There was one place that a person went about a hundred years after the Wesleyan revival and wanted to, some alcohol and they said, there is nothing here. said, how come? Well, ever since John Wesley, all of these places shut down. They don't shut down because we enact a law against them under the new covenant. They shut down because the people of God pray and revival comes and the power of the Holy Spirit grips people and they turn their backs on sin. Not like in our day when believers still excuse all kinds of iniquity. A conviction of the holiness of God. A conviction of truth and of sin and of righteousness that grips our hearts and that grips a nation. And things change. Things will change. Things will change. Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 28, at the very end of that chapter, that we are to make disciples of all nations. How do nations change through revival? Because we make disciples. We teach them. He said, teach them to obey. He didn't say entertain them. He didn't say make them feel good in church. He said, teach them to obey. If we don't learn to obey Jesus, we are useless as Christians. I repeat that. If we do not learn to obey Jesus, we are useless as Christians. God does not use people he cannot control. The Holy Ghost wants to control us so we can be useful to him. I want to invite us to pray. I want to invite us to individually say, use me. If you agree. If you agree. Say, God, I want to be a Josiah in my generation. I'm not waiting for my father. I'm not waiting for my mother. Because if Josiah had waited for his father, he would have led the nation into greater iniquity. I'm not waiting for my grandmother. There are many great men of God. It's all the prayers of my grandmother. But whether or not your grandmother prays, you can pray. You can pray. You can pray. Let's begin to pray now. And say, Father, I choose to be a Josiah in my generation. I choose to be an instrument of revival in my generation. I choose to be a nation changer. Because I know that the call has gone out to everyone, including myself. Yes, Father. Father, we stand before you today 
with the confidence that you desire us. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Father. With the confidence that you are calling every man and every woman in this place to be an instrument of revival, to be a nation changer, to be a person who carries the fire of God in their belly. Whether we are 8 or 16 or 88, we can pray. And there is no revival without prayer. We who are called by your name must humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, and seek your face. And we commit to do that, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I want to invite you to stand, if you do not mind. Can I see the people who are under 35? In this place. Under 35. That is a lot of people. Now I'm looking at you. Can you keep your hands up? And I want to challenge you. And so the future of this nation. I say the future because in the next 50 years, you'll still be here. With long life will I satisfy him. So you have a long time to change this nation. And I want to challenge you. We're all going to do this, but first I'm speaking to the under 35. Because sometimes people think, I'm young. Give your youth to God. Give your strength to God. Give your best years, your most agile years, your most creative years to God. Josiah was 16 when he began to seek the Lord. Can you, do you have loud voices? Can you speak with a loud voice and say, as Isaiah said when he stood before the throne of God, and God said, God was looking for someone, and he did not even ask Isaiah. Do you realize he did not ask him, but he volunteered? Do you want to volunteer? I don't hear you. Do you want to volunteer? So I want you to volunteer and say with a loud voice, Here I am, Lord, send me. Is that what you call a loud voice? I know how young people talk. I want to hear a loud voice. Here I am, Lord, send me. Now that's slightly better. Let's do this again. It's important that you hear your voice. You hear yourself making a commitment to God. Can we do this again one more time? Father God, I thank you that you have heard them. Father God, I thank you that the lives of these young people will be different from this day forward. As a church, we come into agreement, Lord, with this statement they have pronounced in your presence. And we say, Father, send them. Father, use them. Father, change them. Father, transform them. Father, make them flames of fire. Father, turn them into prophets and leaders and pastors and men of God and women of God. Set their hearts on fire.
significant in their generation. Now those of us who are above 35, there is wisdom that we have. And that wisdom God is going to use. And he's also going to multiply our strengths. Yesterday I went to pray for an uncle of mine. I didn't go to pray for him, I went to visit. And he told me, it's a good thing you're here. He didn't even know I was in the country. I haven't seen him in almost 20 years. He said, this night I dreamt of you. And I dreamt you came to pray for me. And so you must pray for me. And he was ill and I prayed for him. And then he began to walk around. And he hadn't walked. He was, he was like, I can, I can walk, I can walk. And he was walking. He didn't stop walking until I left. He was so excited. God gives us strength. He wants to give us strength today. Sometimes we're tired and he wants to give us strength. And so I'm going to invite the older people to do something maybe you're not used to doing. And that's to lift up your voices. Sometimes you get older and you're like, yes, yes, yes. But we're going to lift up our voices. And as we lift up our voices, I'm believing God for a release of strength. Do you agree with me? A release of strength, physical strength, spiritual strength, emotional strength. As you lift up your voices and you say, here I am, Lord, send me. We are believing God that as we say he should send us, he will give us everything we need. The energy to move, the physical strength to move, the emotional capacity to move, the spiritual capacity to move. So we agree with that. I want to ask you to lift up your hands. Oh, lift up your hands, okay. <laughs> Praise God. Now let us say this together with passion, with zeal, knowing that God is hearing us and heaven is paying attention and the angels are noting and we're going to say, here I am, Lord, send me. We're going to do it three times. I won't stop you. So I expect the volume to go up. Hallelujah. Let's go for it. Here I am, Lord, send me. Thank you.